Hello, everyone. Welcome to the 363rd episode of Constructed Criticism. I am your recovering from a cold host, Mason, joined by my perfectly healthy co-host, Abe. Abe, how you doing? I am indeed perfectly healthy. Uh, sorry to still recover from that cold, man. I would hope you would have kicked it by now. Yeah, I think it was like strep throat or something crazy, uh, just because of how long it's lasted. But I mean, like Wednesday of last week, my throat was a little scratchy. It also went like down to like 30 degrees or whatever, and I like you know slept with my window open. So I thought, you know, maybe I got like a little common cold, and yeah. I, I like didn't go to work yesterday. Yesterday was Monday, so you know <laughs> it was kind of a rough one. It was a rough weekend. Didn't really get to do very much, but. We're here now. We're alive. We're kicking, technically speaking. Yeah, you got to be careful when the temperature like dips like that. When it fluctuates a lot, that's when you're most prone to get sick. It's the worst. Yeah, it is a real problem. Well, hey, that was your whole episode this week, actually. It was about health awareness. So, Abe, thank you so much for yeah. that tip. Uh, you want to give about a sponsor real quick, and then we'll head on out of here. No, but today we're Wait. actually... What? What's up? Let's just do our always improving, man. Let's go. All right, all right, <laughs> all right. All right, all right, all right. For, for you and the people, I'll do it. Hey, what was your always improving moment since you're so excited to get down to it? Uh, my always improving moment this week was that I uh, spent some time laying out a little home workout fitness plan because I've definitely been slacking on uh, taking care of my, my body. Well, we've all been sitting around a lot more during, uh, during COVID. And so, you know, I laid out a plan, has a little bit of a little bit of outdoor exercise, a little bit of indoor small weightlifting, bodyweight exercises, you know, the good stuff. Maybe work in some ring fit adventure if I'm like really uh really good about it. If I like get into it the first week and then kind of coast. But I, I tried a couple times and failed, but this time I feel like it's gonna be different. This time I've I've laid out the plan. I really sat there and thought about it. Feeling good about it. I like to hear that. That's exciting. It's always good to be physically fit. I, I was starting to get down to it. I, I was going for a jog every day and then doing the stationary bike. And then if it wasn't doing that, I was doing some push-up and sit-up stuff. And then, I, you know, I died over the last week. And so I've, uh, yeah. I feel you there. It's exciting. Glad to hear you're uh, keeping it, you know, healthy. It's important. My yeah, always- so uh, hmm? what, what was yours? Uh, you're all, you're way ahead of me, dude. You're you're so raring to go. Uh, yeah, I, I just, you know, being able to talk without coughing constantly and not hurting is a real, it really gets you excited <laughs> to talk. But at the same time, you got like, you know, a cough drop in your mouth right now, so you don't push it too much, you know, because you're yeah. recording a podcast, which involves a good amount of talking. It really kind of depends on if you're the host. Or, anyways, we'll talk about that later. My, my whispering moment, though, was giving myself some, uh, some slack. I uh, was pretty frustrated by not, like, doing anything or having anything ready or whatever. And then I realized that, like, hey, I, like, Came home on Friday and, like, laid in bed for six hours or whatever. And then on Saturday, even though I, like, laid in bed all day, I woke up at 3. Like, I slept until 3 when I went to bed at my normal time. Like, I probably shouldn't be so hard on myself. So, it was just giving myself some slack. The classic, you gotta, there's more to life than magic, you know? You gotta maintain the balance and understand what you can and can't do, you know? You gotta have priorities. My priorities this last week was getting to the point where I could record this episode. So, that was my always improving moment. Abe. If I wanted to go someplace to buy magic cards and like the, this place had a coupon code where I could like, I don't know, maybe get some magical cards for cheaper. Do you know a place I could go? So Mason, you ever heard of the, um, you ever heard of the honey browser app? 
I have where not... it goes and searches and it searches the web for codes for discount codes that you're looking for whenever you check out. Well, let me be everyone's honey app today for Oasis Games. Okay, Oasis Games, your number one place for all of your paper magic needs, uh, where you can go and buy all of the standard cards that, you know, not a lot being open. I know, Mason, that you got a lot of collector boosties this week uh, <laughs> to make sure that you're set on all the Mystical Archive cards that you need. But not everyone did that. Not everyone is as prepared as you. And if you want to get any of those wonderful things, Oasis Games place to go. On your first order, you can get 15% off using code CCMTG at checkout. And on any order past the first, you can get 4% off with code would that be good at checkout on all the paper magic stuff you need. We're coming in close. I've seen a lot of a lot of tweets today about how, you know, what what's organized play gonna look like on the other side of COVID. You know, we're kinda we're kinda getting to that time. There's buzzing and whirring of what what does it feel like to be at a Grand Prix again? Is there what is it, you know, what, what's it gonna be like? And if you want to be prepared for the answers to those questions, Oasis Games place to go. And if you are not ready for answer those questions, and you are someone who plays exclusively on Arena, you should go on over to Grey Viking Games, where you can get all of the uh, exclusive Arena skins and promo codes that you have longed for uh, without touching any of your precious gems or gold in the Arena client. Uh, I, I know they just announced another round of secret layers, and I think one of them had a sleeve that you can get on on Grey Viking Games. If I'm if I'm not wrong, Mason, I believe two of them did. I believe two, two of them do. That's twice as many as I thought, <laughs> yeah. and uh, that's twice as many reasons to go check out GreyVikingGames.com. Use code CCMTG at checkout for ten percent off your order every time. Uh, wow! But we are more than just a shill show here. Uh, we are here to talk about Standard, a format that I played a lot this week for the for the SDGs. Now, Mason, you were kind of like on the fence if you could or couldn't, and then you were sick, so you were like, you're out of it. Uh, but don't worry too much, because the format is basically the same but better. Oh, okay. Well, so when I last left Standard, Abe... It was, you know, honestly, I haven't played that much standard since about the last month of Kaldheim. Probably that was like the last time I did some Naya tokens. So my understanding from the Pro Tour is that Sultai and Rogues were the decks. Is that still the case? Or are we living in a Sultai Rogues world? How is Sultai doing, I guess, first? So Sultai uh, did actually pick up a pretty sizable upgrade in uh, Quandrix Cultivator, which has kind of taken the slot of some number of like the cultivates and Essica's chariots in the deck where you now have a more cohesive plan where you ramp more consistently and also it's a body that really holds down the board well but uh it's it's almost been like an inside joke between me and myself all week in looking at all of the uh all of the melee data but Sultai just wins 50% of the games no matter how you slice it it is, it is just a coin flip deck. The uh, Over all of the satellites, it was one of the most played decks, if not the most played deck in every satellite. Uh, I played it to qualify for my uh, for my first two, first two satellite events, where I went 3-3 and then 4-2, which is about what you expect from a coin flipping deck. Um, and 
in all those events, it had exactly a 50% win rate. Like all of its all of its wins lined up to all of its losses. Uh, if you look at the uh, the 5K Sunday Strict Saving Championship qualifier that SCG ran, it had like 266 matches logged, 133 won, 133 lost. So it really is like you can't go too wrong by playing it. It did put the most numbers of any deck into top eight, but it was also the most played. Um, and I think there's a pretty big delta on if you play that deck well or poorly as to like how you sideboard and what your plans are, um, how well you can do with it. There is edge to be gained. But really, I think that much like the PT data has showed us, uh, this is more of Teamer's world and more of an adventure world than it is an ultimatum world. Okay, sure. Uh, so so what, what's going on with Teamer? I saw there was like a Luka deck and a Obosh deck. Uh, what What is like the, the big difference between those two? Like why, why does one play Luka and one play Obosh? So I, I think that the answer to that is that the Luka deck is a lot better in the Teamer mirrors. It's kind of like the I want to have a, a leg up on, on winning all my mirrors build, but it does so by sacrificing in uh, in a couple of key places. Mostly, I think that, uh, that it's a lot more susceptible to Sultai, because Goldspan Dragon is so good at like forcing decks to have answers immediately, and Luke is a little slower about that, despite, uh, despite Coma being very good if you can set it up. Um, but the Obosh build is what, it's what I ended up uh, deciding on playing on Sunday. Uh, I, I just thought it was the most consistently good against Sultai and really against the format. I'd play all these games and I would feel like I was losing, but my cards would just be so much better than my opponents. And I'd just cast a Goldspan Dragon and then like another spell or like have a Great Henge and then cast Goldspan Dragon and then cast my turn of following up with like two creatures. And the games just spiral out of control so fast. It's just all the best stuff in the format, really. Um, it, but Is there any... So when it comes to the Obosh deck, you know, they don't play Kasima as, like, the thing to hit off Luka, right? Like, that's, you know, one of the things you get from playing the Luka deck is that kind of trump in the mirrors. Do you get more game against, like, Rogues and Sultai and such by having Obosh? Or is Obosh just a different way to approach mirrors? Obosh does... Uh, like, Obosh makes it so the deck always has a thing to do to kill. I'm not sure that Obosh itself is necessarily very important for all of the slower matchups, but it's very good for the uh, for the Mirrors and for Sultai. But the real... Cause, so I was talking with Will Pulliam before, the, before Sunday, and he ended up uh, making the finals with his Gruul deck that looked kind of weird to me. It was kind of an innovation on some of the, um, the Magda Gruul decks that people were playing. Uh, mostly championed by Raph Levy uh, at, at like the top of standard ladder right now. Mm-hmm. Uh, but he had like taken a spin on that being like more traditional towards Brushfire Elementals and not playing the Magda package, but playing some of the core threats that he liked. And uh, I was talking about like, is it a huge spew? Because I wanted to be good against Teamer because basically what I've what I see happening in the format is the Teamer is the best deck because it beats Zoltai consistently, which is the most played deck. Uh, Teamer Luka specifically is good against the mirrors, but is worse against some of the more aggressive decks because it can't close the game as fast, and is uh, like against like an elite spellbinder, it can have a lot of trouble because its game, its stabilization game is so tied to playing this five mana spell that uh, if it gets set too far back, 
uh, it can't catch up. Um, but I was like, oh, like how bad is it to play Luca in my deck and play Coma because Coma had been very good against me as Sultai and for me in Sultai. I was bringing it in almost every match and when I had it in my sideboard. Um, just at stabilizing the board in, in the slower matchups, especially against Teamer. It was really good in the mirrors. Um, but he, like you don't need so many ways to go over the top and to go over the top so fast. You just need to have them. Like He was telling me you could just cut Alrin's Epiphanies in some count. But you can't actually afford to like play Luca and Goldspan Dragon and these main deck comas because you're just trying to make too much happen in too little space because so much of your deck is taken up by the core of the adventure package that you're better off just having Obosh to make it so that every time that you curve into a Goldspan Dragon, uh, you can just finish them in like a turn or two. Like the the damage is just so key. Okay, so we're so we're kind of framing everything from the opinion of like adventures being the the stuff so how you know i kind of mentioned rogues at the start here how does rogues fit into that dynamic because i feel like the rogues deck would very very situationally have to be built to kind of beat the teamer deck otherwise it's kind of kind of get you know out advantage like it had historically is that still the case or how's that sort of bearing yeah the teamer versus rogues matchup is it's it's kind of like any of the other like rogues versus oxygonus matchups where you know rogues kind of has a bone crusher giant problem where if people just cast well-studded creatures on curve and attack a lot and don't give the deck breathing room uh it, it eventually falls prey and that is another place where luca is significantly worse than having the proactive game plan that uh obosh does so uh okay. it kind of plays you wind up playing the games more like you're more like you're a gruel deck with mystical dispute to fight over into the stories and stuff rather than uh, like, you know, a, a full team or adventure deck, but your deck is very good at doing that, uh, especially in post board. And you just have like the clothies to, to keep the graveyard down and to, you know, make it so that rogues doesn't have all day and you have oxes to punish their mill effects uh, and, and always play to the board. So while you don't have Ember cleave, um, you do have, a lot of sustained pressure, and your deck really does just put power in play really well. Like, like you can just cast some Brazen Borrowers and cast some Bone Crusher Giants and whatever, and, and tempo them out, or just you know, out and muscle them. Uh, but okay. it, it's still close, you know. The matchups are both those decks are very good. Rogues, I think this weekend specifically, it did wind up winning the event, um, but it played against a lot of Sultai, and Sultai was the most represented deck in the in the event. I think it was like. 20% of the field was Sultai Ramp. Mm-hmm. And like the next big, like Mono Red was the next biggest deck at 10%. So, like, you know, it, it was really just the most represented deck. And Rogues has a great matchup there. And Rogues is also fine against everything else. And people weren't really packing for Rogues, I think. Uh, people had their like oxes and whatever, but that's just because you kind of, when you build your deck, you just know Rogues is around. But there wasn't like a ton of, uh, some of the stuff there usually is to like hate out, uh, hate out rogues. There wasn't like Croxadex or sure. anything super escape heavy. Yeah, my experience with, you know, and this is kind of just true of standard in general, but it's very rare that we have a standard format where the matchups aren't pretty just close in general. Like you need to have pretty lopsided cards and decks built to beat certain decks in order to kind of swing a matchup too much. And, and rogues just is one of those decks that does 
have the ability to be built against, right? Like you can throw Croxas and Oxes and Phoenixes and Woestriders and, you know, really tax what they're trying to do and punish them. But for the most part, the deck has a game against pretty much everything. So it's kind of, it's interesting to hear like, yeah, Rogues is kind of fine. Soul Tide's the most played deck this weekend. And, you know, it, it ended up beating Polyum in the finals. But, uh, you know, these things kind of happen. Because it feels like that's just what that deck does every time. It's just like a strong, consistent deck. <laughs> and it, it just it just seems like Rogues is like... I, I think during Kaldheim, it's the weakest it's been so far. So it would stand a reason that Strixhaven, as things continued on the same route, it wouldn't get much stronger. But I think that deck has just always been very good and like a safe choice almost every weekend since it's a, since the Omnath Ura ban. I think when Omnath Ura won the format, it wasn't playable. But besides that, it's just been very strong. I'm, I'm always so impressed when I play that deck and more so, you know, in Historic. But that's a different conversation. When it comes to Standard, though, I, I love Rogues. Like I can just mention, I always think it's like a safest choice. Uh, what about Naya? Because that's the other deck I personally really liked. I love those Naya, like, traction decks, as we called them, or Go Wide, you know, Clarion Spirit, Toski. Those decks in the past did have a trouble with things like Alaron's Epiphany, Goldspan Dragon. Has that proven to be true, or what, what's kind of going on in that one? Yeah, that so, so a big reason that I was not a believer in Rogues this weekend was that I thought that people would kind of get off Soltai as it continued to underperform as being the most played, but again, it was just holding a 50% win rate through all the events. Um, and a part of that, I think, is because of how good the adventure decks are, and the Naya deck uh, is is a big part of that. At like, It's much better against the creature decks than Teamer is, and Elite Spellbinder has made it a lot better against its bad matchups than it used to be. Because a lot of the time... It would be like relying a lot on having Toski or like drawing its showdowns on time to kind of push through the sweepers in the format. But when you can get a full two extra turns, it's like Redain that you can play in your main deck that's also just good against, you know, like your opponent who's trying to Great Henge you on turn four, which was a huge problem, or your opponent who was trying to like Goldspan Dragon you on turn five. It just buys you so much time while also being an evasive threat that's very good to put counters on. Uh, that that card almost single-handedly has made the deck uh, definitely overperform uh, this weekend. I I think it's still it's still hard for me to get over the fact that it doesn't have a triome. I think <laughs> that its mana its mana really suffers, and it leans a lot on uh, having Jesper Sentinel mm -hmm. currently. But uh, if you look at the win rate for the decks over the weekend. It did have, I believe, the single highest win rate, and it wasn't like it wasn't played nearly as much as Team or Obosh or Sultai, so it's like not as big a sample. But it had a lot of pilots who played it very well, and I know I played against it in the last round for X two, uh, and the games were very close. I think it's still very good against uh, Teamer, and I think Elite Spellbinder has helped a lot there. You just get more time, and you have more flyers, which was kind of a big trump. I think that, that was the only trump. I, I think that was the only yeah, thing Teamer had going for it, to be honest. Oh, I think I think Great Henge is a pretty big trump too. That's but, fair. I, I think like, that, that, between... that's less a, like the the Great Henge makes the games competitive, but does not guarantee a problem. Where Alaron's Epiphany, that same statement is true, but normally if you're Epiphanying, you're ahead, right? Yeah. So like, there's like the, the two states of Epiphany are ahead or Dear God, help me. And so I feel like that card in like gold spanning combination with that fluctuate much more. But sorry, continue. Yeah, I had a lot more. Like, in, the games were incredibly close, 
And the entire time I had to be very aware of Elite Spellbinder as a creature on the battlefield. And not only was it I need to be aware of as a creature on the battlefield, it also prevented me from doing like exactly what I wanted to on curve. Like sometimes it would come down and take my stomp and make that cost four. And then I have to like either decide, am I conceding that I'm almost never going to cast this bone crusher giant again, like leave up twice as much mana for it or like, and that lets them like play a clarion spirit in another spell and start going off. Or do I just need to uh, need to keep on pressing, pressing to the board and uh, it, that card is surprisingly annoying, man. Like, I, I cannot stress enough how impressive that card has been to the point where I think it's possibly, like, one of the better cards in Standard. Like, I think that if your deck is playing... Like, if you were to look at the pillars of the format, if you're playing any deck that's aggressive or any deck that's playing to the battlefield strongly, you need to be considering, like, if you're not playing Embercleave or whatever, like, should you be playing Elite Spellbinder? Yeah, because it just has been that good. It's not surprising either, right? Like a three-one flyer is like fairly hard to actually block in this sort of format. Like before, it's just like what, like sky, like the the Murf- I'm sorry, the the road creatures are like the only ones, right? And then standard so recently has been so much about like I play my card on curve and kill you. That's stopping that dynamic with elite spellbinder. It, it's not surprising to see that card's one of the better cards in standard right now. Let me hear that report back. It's very good at stopping like what standard's kind of about sometimes you know how how often you've been like yeah that game would be so much closer they didn't this amber clue me on four you know yeah this changes a lot and and in like the same way uh like the format is so much about love struck beast that having a 3-1 flyer is a good attacking body and it's so much about bone crusher giant that when it comes down on turn three if they've already stomped something on turn two it's just they can't attack into it without offering the trade, and if you're if you need the time to to kind of claw back, like they they just have to give it to you. They have to give you the space. So uh, yeah, the card is the card is just really good. Uh, like that and and Coma to me coming into the weekend were like two of the cards that had impressed me the most. And I think Coma was more of a case that Mystical Dispute had been on the rise, and people were really trying to punish each other with like negates and disputes. There was like this Magma Opus Alrin's Epiphany deck. Mm-hmm. that had uh, cropped up in the like late hours of the weekend and picked up some popularity. Uh, I think I played against it like two or three times on the weekend. Uh, but that was another one where like, you know, Mystical Dispute is just one of the most efficient answers in Standard, one of the reasons to be playing Blue. And if you can have a way to get a big advantage in, let's say, a Team or Mirror match or against Soltai or against Rogues, uh, less so against Rogues, usually they can pressure you more. But if you just have this this hammer against any deck that's trying to trying to counter your like counter your top end uh the the card really overperforms and there were not many ways to answer it this weekend there's not a lot of good giant killer decks uh because there was a lot of a lot of like untuned winota lists playing as winota a couple times i think it's just not there uh i know it's a deck that people are like really excited about every time it comes up because winota is a fun card to play with but uh, Blade Historian has not taken it enough over the edge for me. I think the power level is there. It's it's kind of like a uh, just a format level thing. Yeah, the, it also got the learned creatures right. The Professor of Symbology was a pretty yeah. big get for that deck. Um, just hasn't bearing out to be good enough right now. But maybe the meta will shift where that sort of thing is playable for a weekend. But I agree, it's probably not going to be like a pillar of the format or anything like that. 
Um, yeah, I will say there's been a lot of, I know that you've played it a bit, but there's been a lot of cool innovations to existing archetypes, uh, like like what we're seeing with Minota that are that seem very promising as well. I know that like the eve of uh, of the tournament, I was looking through like the matchups and looking through my sideboard and trying to build a list that I was happy with, and I decided that I was basically going to concede uh, all of my games where I play against decks where I wanted to have uh, crush the week. If I like wanted to cast a pyroclasm. I was just going to choose to lose, uh, or or I thought I was good enough against the aggro decks like Winota or like uh, like Mono Red mm-hmm. to to handle them. Uh, and then I immediately played against a Rakdos sacrifice deck with uh, with Plum and made a bunch of pests and had like eye twitches and stuff. And I know you've played a little bit of the sacrifice deck, but like, do you think that that's kind of like a real deal big innovation that's going to like kind of move mountains in the format, or do you think that's like uh, Kind of like a, a not quite there thing. It seems more like a response to Teamer. Um, so the the deck it's interesting. So definitely it markets itself as a plum deck. Um, it tries to use like eye twitch and lessons, like the make a bug lesson and get two more bugs, uh, like that sort of thing. And then you plum, and the idea is like with Bastion and Remembrance, you're able to like drain them out right and like you live and then you have claim and claim so good still against the teamer deck it's just no deck can really play claim right like that's kind of the hopes and i played that deck some and i I watched some streamers play a little bit and kind of what i noticed more is that like the lesson stuff is fine but the deck had like a lot of lessons like the the deck we're talking about got 15th of the scg and it played six lessons i believe so i went through i cut some lessons and then i cut some of the cuter cards of the deck put more efficient things like woe strider in uh, more scorpions and things like that, and really try to lean into more of the extra slash awaken the blood avatar aspect of the deck, because I think it's a much better version of a deck when it does that sort of thing. So, for those that don't know, awaken the blood avatar is the back half of Exus, which is the black white magecraft mythic, and Exus is six black red, and you can sack any number of creatures, and it costs two less to play. So you play a lot of things that make a couple tokens. And, you know, get benefit from sacrificing stuff along with claim, right? And then you play this thing. And when you cast it, it actually makes your opponent sacrifice a creature. So I very often was, like, on, like, five-ish mana, claim your thing, sack one of my tokens, sack your thing, and then make you sacrifice another thing. Then when it attacks, it does three, and it's a three-six body. And a three-six body... Does the body have haste? It has haste, too, yeah. Yeah. It's very, very big. Like, basically, only Drown in the Lock kills it. I mean, like, Heartless Act and Eliminate do as well but like i know i brazen borrowed one Ooh, okay yeah that's <laughs> i i have not been brazened yet but i've been trying to play around that to be fair so maybe that might be a, a fair thing to mention there but yeah it, and i handily lost <laughs> for, for the record i got creamed in that match it just was not close yeah the, the deck is surprisingly strong and it's very good at finding its pieces like the thing i've noticed the most is that uh Every Bastion you have in play is kind of like a death nail for the opponent. And if you get all four, you've kind of summoned Exodia and they die or whatever. <laughs> but, like, you, you just kind of play one and it becomes so much harder for them to push through because most of the decks on standard kind of get clogged up and you can, like, assemble some double blocks and then you're, like, claiming their stuff. And then you have Plum, so you're blocking and redrawing so much. And then Extus. So I guess I should probably mention it. The Extus is the the black-white magecraft card, but it's magecraft is you return a non-legendary creature from your graveyard to your hand. So, like, with things like Serrated Scorpion, etc., when you plumb them, you sack them, and then the copies let you replay them. So, there's a lot of, like, blocking and sacking and stalling and just draining the opponent out, and it's very good against the creature decks in the format. Things like 
Teamer. I've played against a bunch. I've played against Mono White. Uh, I've played against some like Mono Red. Those sort of decks, I absolutely destroy. Things get a little trickier when people start trying to go over the top of me. Things like Sultai are a bit of a problem. Uh, there have been rogue draws that have been pretty annoying, where they're able to answer enough things. But I, I think the deck is more of a meta call than anything right now. And I think as long as people are playing Teamer decks and Mono Red, which I would love to talk about here in a second, I think it's a, a fine choice, but not the deck I'd probably play first if I was going to you know, play a tournament. But it's very fun. And, you know, if you're looking to play something fun, this is a build for you, or a deck for you, I should say. Yeah, I, I will also stress that I think it's very good against Teamer and is probably maybe not as good against, like, Naya, but I think it's pretty good against the Lovestruck Beast shells. It, it The Rakdos Sacrifice decks have been mm-hmm. always. Like, the, the, the more the decks are playing to the board, the better that decks like this are and the better that Claim gets. Um, but this really felt like it was having the Bastion angle... And having the plum angle, it made it feel like it was doing something significantly more powerful than it was before. And it's going to be very interesting to see where that goes, like, for me. Yeah, I've seen some people, they've cut the lesson cards altogether. I still play iTwitch because of the combination with Extus. And I haven't seen many people do it, but I've been rummaging a lot with my Extus and discarding my Croxas. Like, I've been trying to use iTwitch kind of like as a, a Croxa cheater. Because, you know, you don't really want to play it on curve, and you have a lot of other developing plays, but it's still very good in your deck. Uh, so I still have eye twitches, but I've seen people play Whisper Squad as just a way to kind of, like, keep generating, like, bodies or whatever and try to leverage the Exodus part of your deck more as well and just kind of be like, I'm going to keep deploying and redeploying these little yeah. uh, annoyers, you know. And so I, I don't know. It seems like there's still a lot of work to be done on that archetype, and it does have a lot of eyes right now, so it's probably underexplored and uh, probably undertuned as well, so... So, uh, as for Mono Red, Mono Red was another deck that uh, went 50-50, basically, in the, uh, in the SCG. Which usually means that it did, like, a little better than that sounds, because it's easier to get, like, knocked out than it is to, to get a bunch of wins. But, uh, yeah, I don't know. I think, I think the deck is... The deck is obviously definitely still around. Uh, definitely still a big player, but I don't think it's really gain anything. I've seen people start to play hall monitors, kind of like lean into the one drop stuff, but I don't know that it's really doing enough of anything new. I mean, if you look at Sandy Dog's list, I I think he literally does just have like three cards different, and they were like minus one Rimrock, minus one Fireblade Charger, uh, like plus hall monitors or something, like minus maybe a Torbrand. Anyway, uh, yeah, I think it's it, it. When you look at the way things were at the end of uh, the previous format, it was starting to get kind of clear what the good decks, like what the decks to beat were, and what everything else was. Like there was really starting to be a tier one and a tier two. Uh, finally, after the entirety of Kaldheim being out, um, and I think Mono Red, you know, falls solidly in like the the bottom of tier one. Or like bottom of tier one, top of tier two, where it's it's good. You Embercleave people on four, and it's really good. It has really strong draws. It's very consistent. Uh, it's pretty good against Saltai. Um, you know, it has like Lovestruck Beast problems. Teamer can be a tough matchup. Naya I, I think Hall Monitor does a bunch for that, by the way. The the Lovestruck Beast problem. I think that's the biggest get from Hall Monitor, is that it's a way to like on like turn five ish 
you know, make it so the Love Struck Beast isn't a problem as you've developed your Annex or something to kind of push through for damage, you know? But... Yeah, it, it just hasn't... I haven't played a lot with the Hall Monitors, um, but I know that I just haven't really felt like I should be too impressed by it. When I've played out the games, it doesn't feel like the problem is that... If my Love Struck Beast being in play is forcing you to draw, like, a three of... 1-1 one, one, to temporarily answer it and also tie up two of your mana every turn, the Mon Red deck is going to do so much worse. Like, it really relies on having its top end and it's going to take... You know, it's it's not until, like, turn five if I only have the Lovestruck Beast and, like, maybe one other creature I don't want to block with or can't block properly with uh, that you're going to make it so that my thing can't block... Like, animate a... Um, animate a Faceless Haven, attack, make it so my thing can't block. Like, now I'm sending a pretty good attack with two good creatures. Maybe I have to take a trade like a bone crusher giant uh it, it just doesn't feel like it's actually playing into a winning pattern even if it's improving things yeah i think the i think the problem with the mono red deck is it lacks reach you know like there's no real way like once you stabilize at like four or five ish you know there's really only stomps as a way to deal direct damage yeah but i think hall monitor cheats that that dichotomy a little bit by making it so that you can push through a bit more chip damage in the late game and get a little bit earlier in game so i don't think it's like the deck is saved, but I think Hall Monitor is a good get, if that makes sense. Yeah, I could easily see a world, too, where, like, playing four Hall Monitors instead of any number of Fireblade Chargers gets better, depending on what the threats are in Standard, but it's, uh... I don't know, it, it just feels like it's not all there for the kind of red deck Hall Monitor we be in, and it still feels like the deck is kind of uh, still just leaning on all of its best cards, which are, like, the fact that it's Bone Crusher, Annex, Embercleave, Torbran, like that, that cohesion really holds the whole deck together. And like, Hall Monitor is not as big a boon as like Frostbite was and Faceless Saven was. It, mm -hmm. The deck, the deck's still good, and it's still something you should respect. But uh, I don't think it's I don't think it's like on the same level as Teamer or Sultai right now, which might be a little surprising if you haven't checked in on the format in a bit because like coming into uh coming into the late days of uh the call time standard format it seemed like mono red was one of the best like three decks it was like rogues mono red and uh mono red and sultai but now it kind of feels like it's teamer sultai and then i i guess you could default to to mono red it could also i guess rogues um absolutely deserves its, its place there but uh it kind of feels like you have to be picking what it is you're trying to beat and if you're trying to beat sultai which 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 is what i think you should have been doing last weekend you wanted to play teamer because it beat up it beats up creature decks and beat up uh beat up sultai but now it's kind of like if you want to beat up teamer what do you play it's kind of where my head's at uh, that's fair all right i'm gonna hit you with some thoughts on what i want to try testing i want your Honest responses here as we wrap this up. Are you ready? Little, yeah. Oh, spring on you. Mono white. Elite Spellbinder. I think that that has a lot of potential. I fear that you're going to be really clogged on threes. You might have to abandon the whole, like, Luris thing. Your Rogues matchup is still really bad. And, uh, like, Mono Red's not as big as it used to. So you've kind of, like, lost... You've gained this really powerful card... But it's not exactly doing something your deck needed it to be doing. Like you, you were already good in that slot, but uh, you're you've lost some of your best matchups and some of your best spread. 
transmogrify combo. Uh, is that the Velomachus deck? The, the Velomachus deck when we're talking to listeners, but yes, Velomachus. Oh, uh, the Velomachus deck? Is that really how you pronounce that card? Yeah, it's Velomachus. You said Velompidus, didn't you? I said Velomachus. Yeah, Velomachus is. I thought you. I thought you been joking like it's a llama this whole time. Did you really think that's no. how that card? I thought you were joking. I thought that was like one of those inside joke names. <laughs> no. Like Velomachus Lompidus. Like no, no it's Velomachus. I, I did say hip hopopotamus. My my dragon's Velomachus a lot, but I, yeah. I just thought it was like some sort of Greek philosopher. No, no, it's Velomachus. Velomachus. Yeah, that's I how I've heard everyone else say it at least. Okay, I have not seen that deck play. Probably not good enough, but I bet it sounds it sounds like a lot of fun. I think if you want to like do kind of transmogrify things, though, there's already the Team or Luca deck, which is going to be equally thrilling, but probably more good. This deck gets to play the the ramping growth that makes a, a land into an elemental, and then you get to transmogrify off that on turn three, which is kind of hot. You, wow. you have to admit that, that that line of play I just told to you got you a little interested in losing to Giant Killer on turn four. You have to tell it me. It did, that. But, but also I'm now I'm just more interested in like how can we make our deck like Luca into it and still combo off. Like, the deck has Luca too. It has both. It's oh, both. wow. Yeah. You, I, it's very clear to me that you have not seen this deck. No, I haven't. Yeah, yeah I got to show you this. Are they Titan's Nest? No, this is not the, the Titan S deck. No, 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 no. No, but did I tell you I played against it? Oh, yeah, you told me you played against this. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, that deck is... It's sweet, but I really can't... I, more power... They, I think they ended up winning their last one and getting, like, 14th. Shoutouts so. to them. Uh, But, like, I just can't believe someone decided to show up with, like, a bunch of draw spells in their deck. And, and Titan's Nest, like a four-mana blue enchantment. It really, like, shook me to my core when I played against it, that someone had that kind of bravery in them. Uh, oh, but that deck's sweet. If you're looking for sweet decks to play, little little Delvey Aloran's Epiphany. Yeah, we're really That's doing it with Titan's Nest, let me tell you. <laughs> uh, last idea I have, you ready for this one? Is it cards? Specifically, I like Magma Opus, Brazen Borrower, Bone Crusher Giant, and wait for it, Expressive Iteration. That's what I'm about. Yeah, that deck, that deck actually se- it seemed very good against Sultai, because uh, the Sultai was kind of slow. If like the Sultai player didn't know how they should like pivot their deck to, to kind of fight against it and what mattered, I felt like it was pretty favored, and it seemed pretty good. Like... Mm-hmm. Uh, like iteration especially was a very powerful card. It's two mana draw two is so good, um, and all the two mana interaction was was strong too. I think there's something there. I don't know if it sees the light of day while throne is legal, but I do think that you know it, it's it's kind of coming together there. The little like it's doing. I've said this before about how Teamer Obosh feels like it has cobbled together the remnants of uh, the blue-red deck from the beginning of Kaldheim Standard, the blue-red snow deck, and put in, like, the best parts of its play patterns. This is a deck that really calls back to that, saying, like, yeah, we want to do that still, uh, but we're going to do it more consistently and with less bad two-mana cards in our deck and more good two-mana cards in our deck. Uh, Which makes it, you know, more streamlined unique on that game plan. Cost of, like, Lovestruck Beast, but at the gain of being a two-color deck with good mana. So... 
That could be something. I, I definitely think if you want to cast Magma Opus and you don't want to play Historic, that is the place to do it. It's pretty sweet. I just, I'm, as you know, by doing the podcast with me, and I don't know if you've read any of the articles, I am about Magma Opus. I am in on Magma Opus. It's like Cruel Tomato and Infant Speed. How could you not be? It's better than Cruel Tomato. Whoa. <laughs> Dude, I, it's legitimately better. Dead, de- de- no jokes. Like the, the discard deck of treasure is <laughs> no just cap. so nice. No cap I'm... on God for sure. Okay, it's like it's like a cruel tomato with cycling, which makes it the better cruel tomato because it's not stuck in my hand. <laughs> I don't know. I can cast. <laughs> if we're top decking and we both have seven mana, I'm one. I'm one draw step away from cruel tomato. <laughs> yeah, but luckily I discarded my other treasure earlier, and now I'm gear hulking you oh, in your upkeep, wow, yeah. and now you're not casting your cruel, and you're just crying, crying. I guess that's good. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, all right. Well, that's going to do it for our main topic this week. Abe, thank you so much for kind of telling us so much about standard going into the trenches and learning all that sort of stuff. If you'd like this episode and you wanted to support us, you go to patreon.com slash CCMTG. One of the perks of that is you get to ask a question on the show. We're actually throwing it at the end this time. That way listeners can't skip over it. They don't know when it's coming. Maybe we'll be in the middle of the question next week. Who knows? This week's question is when playing a mirror match, what are some typical signs you look for, for how you should be playing it? i.e. your role in that matchup. Obviously, this could change from deck to deck, but I'm kind of curious if you have any heuristics on it. I've personally been struggling with the Rogues uh, bear match. So, Abe, what are some of your thoughts on this? So, this is actually really uh, kind of a little funny to me because I wrote an entire article back when I wrote for Star City about approaching mirror matches. In that case, it was specifically about the Sultai, like Jade Light Ranger, Wild Growth Walker, Hydra Crisis deck. Uh, and how to approach playing that. But I really break down uh, in that article, if anyone wants to go and dig through it to find it, um, how I tend to approach it. And basically, it breaks down to, I start by thinking about how it is that I'm going to win the game. I construct like, okay, uh, I'm the rogues player playing against the other rogues player. Like, where is it that I win the game? How is it the end game like comes to be? Uh and then I think about how I lose the game. So, like, where is it that I fail and don't get off the ground? Uh, where is it that, like, I get beat? Uh, and then I kind of try to start making my plans fit together to achieving one of these end states, right? I'm, like, always kind of jockeying for a position of one of these things. It's a little more complicated with rogues because rogues is very versatile. And a lot of the same cards do a lot of the same game plans. So... I think most of my tip for, like, rogues is, of course, like, obviously identify your role in the matchup very early on. Like, whenever you can, ask yourself, like, am I the one who needs to be dealing lethal damage? Am I trying to mill my opponent out more aggressively? Like, how is it that I'm going to win this game? Approach that first, and then figure out if you if you can or not. And also be trying to figure out how is my opponent trying to win the game? Because it really is... Like, it, it's a closed problem. You you know every piece of information just about because either it's like an open decklist tournament or you just know that there's maybe one or two cards different between your Rogue 75s and you know how your deck functions. Um, so, like, knowing whether or not to counter that Drown in the Lock versus, or, or like, waiting, saving a removal spell for Alluris versus, uh, like, fighting over an end of the story. These are all questions that, kind of get easier to answer once you are able to break down and think about uh, the way the game is going to play out as a whole and how you want it to play out. Uh, and I think that's something a lot of people really struggle with in mirror matches is identifying 
those things and like really taking the time to think over and analyze all of all of the ways the game plays out and all of the all of the end paths that you wind up at uh, first and then kind of figure out how you can use your cards to, to drive yourself to one of them. Yeah, I would also say, you know, check in with that mid-game, right? Like, is this a game where it looks like uh, your Skyclave Shades are going to be running over and you're controlling the battlefield a bunch and the game's not about end of the story? Then maybe let things like end of the story sort of resolve where normally you might want to fight over that. Or in certain types of, like, board states where end of the story matters more. Lead into the thing that you're doing better than your opponent right there that's closing the door on them having out and that sort of stuff. And play to those things. And I would say that I generally try to think about the things that matter the most in the matchup and apply that sort of role, right? Like if I am playing a burn mirror in, let's say, modern core fire dance, a uh, core firewalker, sorry, is such a strong and powerful card in those mirror matches. And when I have that card in play, it's very easy to win the game, right? Your opponent's burn spells all do less, all their creatures can't really hit you. And all your things gain you life. So it becomes very easy to figure out a way to win the game once you have that, right? And you, you can often take a more defensive role thanks to the nature of that sort of thing, right? But when my opponent has the core firewalker, I need to be trying to think about how am I going to kill this core firewalker? How am I going to outrace them? I'm going to deploy my cards before they have time to get all that extra life. And so I try to think about what's really mattering in this current game state a lot for me. And so my heuristic is kind of a, uh, kind of a cop-out answer where it's like I don't really have one I just kind of lean into the thing that's going the best at that moment uh, assuming you know I can't play around anything or etc etc on that sort of lines but typically for mirrors I think it's kind of best to try to just do the best game plan for first and foremost you know like mono red you ember cleave them you know in an elves mirror you try to elf on one lord on two type thing and you just try to like do that sort of stuff and make your opponent be the one who has to draw the, the sideboard cards. Because there's just less sideboard cards than there are main deck ones. And most mirror matches, you can't configure your deck too drastically for the mirror. And you can much about how you use your cards and where you're pushing and when you're kind of holding back. So I hope that was helpful. Mirror matches are one of the harder parts of Magic for sure. And it's one of those things that uh, really matters, A, on lot the type of deck you're playing. And B, on just your raw experience in the games and stuff like that. Um and, and Rogues is one of the ones that is very, very tricky specifically. So I, I hope yeah. that was helpful. It's really difficult when it comes to decks like Rogues, um, especially because of the fact that it is both a counterspell deck and like a flash beatdown deck. Uh, the games can get really tricky uh, to navigate. There's a lot of decisions that you make. But uh, I don't know, like in other types of mirror matches, I know in control mirrors, a lot of the times good shortcuts to have are like focusing on when you know knowing when you are countering like card draw spells or fighting over like mana development and when you're like fighting over their threats like knowing you know if there's only like one aetherling in the deck and you can like counter that like you don't need to fight over sphinx's revelation if you know you're like up in counters that came up uh not exactly sphinx's revelation but back when there was like the one chromium esper control deck mm-hmm. uh where like there are so many cards that just don't matter, but like four absorb, one negate, and like if they had unmoored ego or something, like those mattered so much that knowing how to time them kind of makes it all all come together. And just figuring out like where it is that knowing where it is you need to go, and that's that's ultimately why I break it down the way I do when I think about mirror matches. But knowing 
the end states you're fighting towards makes it a lot easier for you to uh, to navigate in the moment, like you're saying, where you know that the way that I'm the way that I'm going to win this game is that I have two crabs and I'm going to play defense and just run them out of resources uh, because they have to trade two removal spells for two crabs. I'm just going to win anyway because they're then not going to have answers for my Luris or for my uh, like my inevitable drawing of my own threats. Um, but if you know. If they also have, if you have one crab and they have two crabs, then suddenly, like, maybe you need to get more aggressive, or maybe you have to spend the removal spells and then hope you can fight over a spell that's supposed to, like, shut the door on you, you know? It, it's just about constantly evaluating your role and where you're going. Uh, and I think a lot of people just get lost, because usually they're used to just kind of trying to play their deck until they win. Yeah. And when you stop doing that and start, like, playing with more focused intent on where, like, how, when you start to visualize more how you're going to win... Uh, and also how your opponent is trying to win, uh, it makes those decisions a lot clearer, and I think you'll notice that uh, your your win rate goes up a good bit. So, hundred percent agreed. Oh my goodness! Well, I am tired, and my throat's starting to scratch and hurt. So, thank you, Abe, so much for doing a lot of heavy lifting. Like I said earlier, if someone wants to find you, Abe, where can they go? Uh, they can find me on twitter.com slash more nothings for all of my tweets and at twitch.tv slash more nothings for all of my occasional magic streaming how about you mason you can find me on twitter at mason e clark you can find my articles on card kingdom every thursday this week we're talking about the historic tier list game you're ready for the SUG this weekend so that's pretty exciting you're gonna check that out it's a tier list a people love tier lists and they never tell me their opinions on it uh, and then you can find me on Twitch at twitch.tv slash the Mason Clark. I stream mostly at night, uh, but I'm going to get back to that here soon once I'm able to talk for a long period of time. You can find us here each and every week like you will next week for another episode of Constructed Criticism. <laughs>